turn to Acts 4. I thought perhaps with four months of fatherhood under my belt, maybe I should preach on how to be a successful father from my limited experience. I didn't think four months would lend itself to that. So here we are. We're going to continue in the book of Acts and see what truths the Lord has for us uh, in his word. Acts chapter 4. All along this series, we have had a theme phrase. It's been up here on the stage, behind me, on either side of the stage. It is the empowered church. So that brings up a question. Do you want to be empowered? Do you want power? It's an interesting word, that power. We certainly see it in context of the church. We want to be an empowered church. But what about you? Do you want power? I think we all feel the need for power because we're weak people. And we encounter that pretty early on in our lives, that we are weak and frail and need some help. And and, and so we feel the need for some power, for some strength, for something to make us feel better about our weak selves. That's one reason, I think, why movies and and books and TV shows that show people possessing some sort of special power are so, so popular. I mean, why do little kids like to dress up as their favorite superhero. What's behind that? Well, in their little lives, they want to feel like they have superpowers of one sort or another, super strength or the ability to climb walls and something awesome like that. Or perhaps why do kids feel the desire to use the force in some way, shape, or form? Man, wouldn't that be nice? They could just move things around and be all cool and powerful and have a lightsaber and so forth. Now, it's not just kids who have this desire. Don't tell me you've never sat on your couch and you've seen your phone across the room or the remote and you thought to yourself, man, it sure would be nice just to summon that to me without having to get up. Do you ever feel that way? Or, or man, it would be really nice to be able to wave a wand and have my lawn mowed or my house clean or maybe some super speed to get through my to-do list. We all, whether kids or adults, we all want power of one sort or another. And certainly a term that has gained in popularity, the sense of being empowered. We want uh, different groups of people in our society to be empowered, for the, the smaller groups to be empowered over the bigger groups, and, and for one group to go against the other in this power-hungry struggle for dominance. That's not the type of power we see in Scripture. So what do we see? Well, think back through all we've seen and acts so far, and the power on display. Think back to chapter 2, the Spirit came and the apostles, they heard the sound of this rushing wind, these tongues of fire rested upon them, they had the ability to speak in languages they didn't know before, there's power there. Then in chapter 3, this whole account we've been working through for many weeks now where Peter and John heal a lame man, there's power, and then speak with boldness when put on trial. And then in chapters to come, we'll see this get even greater in some sense, because in chapter 5, people will be putting the sick in the street just so Peter's shadow might fall on them for healing. We'll see a a woman who was dead come back to life. We'll see uh, the adventures of Paul and how he was stoned and shipwrecked and had a snake bite, and yet all these things he survived. There's power there. Now we know in, in this church... We know in this time that these signs and wonders have faded away, and we shouldn't look to be able to experience these signs and wonders anymore. We have the completed canon of Scripture, and these signs and wonders were given to this early church to confirm this message of the gospel. 
But even if we, we put aside these miraculous uh, signs and wonders we've seen so far and, and just look at what's left in the book of Acts, we still see an empowered church. And so we ask, what happened to that empowered church? We've seen multiple occasions of thousands of people coming to know Jesus because of a sermon. Do we see that in our day and age? We've seen incredible boldness when put on trial with their very lives at stake. Are we experiencing that boldness or do we perhaps panic at minor things in our lives? We've seen amazing unity in the church so far where they've been able to, with one accord, proclaim this message. Do we see that unity in churches today? If we see the church of Acts have this incredible power for God to work in the lives and bring people to himself, where is that power today? Where have we gone wrong? We've said all along that we have the same spirit within us that they had. We're we're not missing the spirit. The spirit indwells all believers still to this day. So where is our boldness? Where's our revival in seeing this incredible movement of God in people's hearts to bring them to himself? If we compare our past week and all that we did to a week in the life of this early church and compared the two weeks, I think we'd come away seeing our week as a little boring, a little simple, a bit more uh, less uh, empowered than theirs was. So what are we missing? How can we experience the empowered church? Well, as Andrew said from the very beginning, we need to go back to the basics. We need to go back to the basics. And that's what Acts lays out for us. And today it's going to give us one very, very basic thing that could revolutionize our lives. Simple thing, but something we're called to all to do and we're called to do together to be the empowered church. We're going to be looking at Acts 4, 23 through 31, but I want you to skip to the very end and look at verse 31 with me. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Here it is on the screen as well. It says, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Do you want to see that happen? Maybe not the the literal shaking. That might be a little frightening for us if this room uh, started shaking this morning, but certainly we want to see the Spirit work. We want to speak the word of God with boldness. We want this. But notice what I skipped over in verse 31. Did you catch it? The opening phrase. And when they had prayed. And when they had prayed, these incredible things happened. Do you want to see God's power on display? Well, the way to be an empowered church runs through God-exalting, Bible-soaked prayers for boldness. If we want power, we must start here with the basics, with God exalting, lifting him high, Bible-soaked prayers for boldness to proclaim the word. Nothing so grand as simple every day praying together for our great God to equip us with his word to live life on mission with boldness. So let's consider this morning each part of this phrase, and we'll start with looking at prayer in general. We'll see that an empowered church is a praying church. An empowered church is a praying church. We've seen this all throughout Acts so far. In fact, we've seen almost always that prayer precedes God's incredible working, both what we've studied so far and what we will continue to study in the book of Acts. 
So I'm going to put up a list of passages. Don't try to write them all down. There's a lot, and I didn't even put them all up here. But here are some references to prayer in the book of Acts. Starts off with chapter 1, verse 14. It says that all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Even before the Spirit comes, they're devoting themselves to prayer. And then in verse 24, they pray and ask God for direction as they choose a replacement for Judas. And then in 242, part of the aspect of a healthy church is praying. And then in chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And that's where they heal the lame man. We'll see later in chapter 7 that Stephen, the first martyr, prays while he's being killed. Chapter 8, the apostles pray for the Spirit to come in Samaria, this new place the gospel's going into. In chapter 10, Peter's praying on the roof when he receives this vision that eventually leads him uh, to Cornelius, this Roman centurion who joins the church. And then in chapter 12, the whole church gathers to have a prayer meeting for Peter when he was thrown in prison. I like this one because they're praying so hard for Peter to be released from prison that when Peter comes and knocks on the door, God having answered their prayer and released him, they don't even believe that it's really him. They uh, prayed so hard they didn't even believe their prayer had been answered. And that's some of us sometimes, I think. But we see the early church saturated in prayer. There's over 30 references or about 30 references to prayer in this book, more than any other New Testament book. Acts is saturated with prayer. And they're, they're praying together with one accord, it says. Look at the beginning of our passage. Skip back to verse 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and we'll get to what they said in a moment. But notice that they didn't do this just privately. No, prayer for them was a thing to do together, in public, gathered as the church, with one voice, it says here. Now, we're not sure how that worked. Maybe it was some sort of call response where one person read part and then the people responded, kind of like what we do with scripture reading sometimes, or perhaps they all read it together, or uh, perhaps one person led and the others responded. But the point is, they all prayed unified with one heart. So I think it's appropriate before we uh, work through what they prayed for us to read it together. Let's practice praying together with one voice. Now, if somebody gets a little off and a little behind, it's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll let you go. But let's read this whole prayer together. I think we could do it. I'll have it up on the screen here for us. Look up here and let's read their prayer together. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, 
Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Phew, you did it. You did it. We read it together. That is the prayer they prayed. So the question is, if this was their regular practice, we see it here, we see it many other places, and they prayed and and saw God work in response to their prayer, do we pray together like they did? Do we follow their example? We certainly have times of prayer in our Sunday classes, perhaps even this morning you had a time of prayer in your class, in our community groups, several times probably in the course of our service, gathered together. But beyond these things, do you intentionally set aside time to pray together with the people of God? In a small group, even just as a family, with another family, over a meal, over coffee, do you pray together with God's people regularly? Do you make it a priority? I'm so encouraged to see that our church does do this, to hear of ladies praying before the services, to to even last week seeing some folks praying with somebody who was having a procedure in the back of the auditorium at the end of a service. It's so encouraging to see God's people pray together outside of these scheduled times. But I want to challenge us to grow more in this. In these summer months, to set aside specific times, we've been talking about Bible studies and book studies. How about just a time of prayer together weekly or every other week? And specifically, I want to challenge the fathers to take the lead on this. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, uh, he writes that I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Paul had a specific desire for men to pray and to take the lead in their families and in their churches. I'm so thankful for the example reflecting here on Father's Day of my own father and the prayer he would have with me all growing up Almost every conversation, even to this day on the phone, we'd end with prayer. He even called me yesterday just to pray with me for the sermon. That is a great legacy for me to have. Fathers, dads, don't underestimate the simple power of praying with your kids. Praying with your wife, praying together as a family, modeling that, teaching them how to pray. And for all of us, we all feel a little futile sometimes. We feel powerless to change things in our lives. We look at the news and we see the world going down and down and all these terrible things happening. How can we change it? We see our children or our grandchildren and how can we change their hearts? Is there any hope? Well, there is. We can actually talk to the one who can change hearts. We can talk to the one who can change nations and the course of history itself. We can have a conversation with God. So when you feel powerless, gather together with God's people and pray to the God of power and see what he does. I love how in this passage, the idea of gathering together is used in a number of ways. We saw the church was gathered and with one voice they prayed. But in their prayer, they talked about how these evil forces were gathered together against Jesus at his crucifixion. 
Herod and Pontius Pilate and the other Gentiles and even the people of Israel, this, this massive force, these, all these powers of the day had gathered together against Jesus. And yet God's purposes prevailed. And in this day, the forces were gathering again. In the passage we just came from last week, we saw the whole Sanhedrin gathered together against God's people. But when the nations gather together to fight, God's people gather together to pray. We have many forces against us in these days. We have the evil one working in many different ways. The, the enemies are gathering but when they gather against us, we do not gather together to oppose them, to try in our own might to fight against them. No, we gather together to pray for the one who can and will win the victory. The church gathered together seeking God is more powerful through God's strength than the greatest ruler, the greatest army, the greatest Avengers squad team up of guys we could ever possibly imagine. The church has power as we gather to pray. And speak to the God of power. That brings us to our second point. An empowered church is a praying church, but what does the church pray about? Well, an empowered church is a God-exalting church. In the content of their prayer, they start with two simple words, identifying who God is. They say God is the sovereign Lord. This word actually is where we get the English word despot from, which isn't a nice term, but it does tell us that this is someone who has ultimate control. And we know God has this control for our good. Somebody with ultimate power. What a great way to begin a prayer. And very similar to how Jesus would have taught his disciples to pray. He taught them to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. And so they begin recognizing God is the sovereign Lord. That's how we should start our prayers. That God is in heaven. He does as he pleases. If we don't start there and if we start with our own agenda, our prayers will be out of whack. We got to get in the right zone for prayer by recognizing and praising and exalting who our God is as sovereign Lord. And then they exalt him as the creator. He says, they say, the God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, and everything in them. This sovereign God is the creator in all categories. The heavens, the sky, the earth, the sea, this, this place of the chaos and restlessness. And just in case they missed anything at all, everything in them. God created it all and is under his control. He sees when each sparrow dies. He clothes each flower he knows the path of each bee as it buzzes through your yard. He knows the direction of each squirrel as it darts around. He knows each star and each galaxy. He knows and created the llamas and the elephants and the lions and the tigers. All of it was created by God. He even knows all of the plants in your lawn. Every blade of grass and probably mostly the weeds also. Uh, he knows them. Uh, all is made by our creator God. And all is under his control. And they, and they go further into this idea of the sovereign Lord by describing him as the great planner. The great planner. They don't stop just talking about God creating in the past. 
They're saying God is in control and planned everything even to the very present. And in verse 25 and 26, they quote from the Old Testament, which we'll discuss more in a moment. And they apply this prophetic statement from Psalm 2 to their situation in verses 27 and 28. They recount that the nations and the peoples had gathered against God when Jesus was arrested. As we mentioned earlier, Herod, Antipas, who would have been the the son of the evil Herod the Great, he would have controlled Galilee at this time, and, and Jesus was put on trial before him. To Pontius Pilate, which, by the way, very good job on pronouncing Pontius. You, you did a very great job there. Uh, hard to pronounce, but this is the guy who represented the Roman Empire. He was the prefect or the governor. To just generally the Gentiles, no doubt including the centurions who actually uh, put Jesus up there on the cross. And then even more shockingly, they say the peoples of Israel, God's own people. All of these forces gathered together against God and against his anointed, which is the word for Christ or Messiah, talking about Jesus. They all gathered together. Talk about a team. Who could withstand such a force? Well, the sovereign Lord could. The creator can. I love how verse 28 puts it. These all gathered together to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This huge force of enemies, they were in God's hand the whole time. They were not outside his control. They were actually accomplishing his plan from the dawn of time. And we've seen this as a constant theme in the book of Acts. I have a number of references up here for us. Back in chapter 2 in Peter's first sermon, he says that this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Then in chapter 3, verse 18, in his second speech after healing the lame man, he says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And then in 4.11, before the Sanhedrin, we just finished that section, Uh, They say that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Psalm 118. He was rejected, but now he is the cornerstone. These prophecies have been fulfilled. All went according to God's plan. The early church was utterly convinced that Jesus' death was part of God's plan. He predestined the moment to happen. He was sovereign over all of history to lead it to this moment. Pilate, Herod, the religious leaders, they were doing as God had planned. All operates according to God's plan. As one theologian puts it, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. Nothing that somehow escaped God and he's panicking because he's not in control anymore. This is our big, glorious God. Another preacher puts it like this. God is not small. God is not scared. And God is not surprised. Doesn't that encourage you? He's not small, he's not scared, and he's not surprised. There are no government rulers, there's no presidents, there's no armies, there's no hurricanes, there's no tornadoes that make God shake. In fact, he shakes them. And if you doubt this, I encourage you to read the book of Daniel. There, throughout all these familiar accounts of what Daniel and his friends went through, you see God at the center thwarting these evil empires through his power so that at the end of the day, in most of the chapters, the, uh, the person in charge, Nebuchadnezzar or Darius, has to admit that God is the ultimate king and he is in control. Everything goes according to plan. The gates of hell will not prevail against we the church. 
They prophesy here in, uh, they incorporate the prophecy in Psalm 2, which says that the nations plot in vain. They plot in vain. A couple of verses later in this psalm, verse 4, David says this, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Man, you have to be in control if you can laugh at your enemies. Picture the cocky hero in the movie who's so confident in his abilities, he says, bring it on to the villain. Come at me. Try your best. God ultimately is the one with all the power, such power, that he laughs at these plots of the nations. And we'll see this play out in the book of Acts. Uh, In the next chapter, here's some spoiler alerts for the next chapter. If you don't know where we're going here in Acts, I'm going to steal some some people's future sermons here. Uh, But in the next chapter, the apostles are once again arrested. They're thrown in prison. And the Sanhedrin, the, the religious leaders, they're preparing to put them on trial. And so they wake up the next day, they get their cup of coffee, they all meet together. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. We're all here together. All right, bring the prisoners in. Uh, we'll now have their trial. Maybe we'll even put them to death. And the guards say, well, about that, um, there seem to be no prisoners. Uh, we put them and lock the doors. The doors are still locked. The guards are still in place. But somehow the prisoners are, are gone. We don't know what happened to them. And they said, what? How could this be? And then somebody comes in and says, hey, uh, just so you know, uh, there are some guys out there in the courtyard of the temple. They're preaching uh, the gospel this new way. Uh, Didn't you have them in jail? And they're like, what in the world? How did this happen? God laughs at the plans of these evil forces. And he, he has a bit of a sense of humor. And you get that sense in this chapter, seeing how he worked these things out. And as they plan and plot, they recapture these guys, they bring them before them. One of the guys on these religious rulers' council is named Gamaliel. And he says, guys, listen, we got to be careful here. If this new movement about Jesus is not of God, it'll peter out eventually. But if it is of God, we better be careful opposing these guys because we will not be able to overthrow them if indeed it is from God. Chapter 5, verse 39. And that proves to be the case. In fact, it proves to be such the case that one of Gamaliel's students named Saul, who was the most zealous after the church to persecute them, he, in fact, chapters later, gets turned into the greatest missionary the early church ever saw. You see God's sovereign plan. You see him turning what the evil forces mean for evil into good. You see him take whatever they throw at his church and turn it and preserve his church and spread the gospel in spite of their best efforts. So what does this mean for us? Well, if God was truly sovereign over the worst day in history, the death of his son on the cross, then he is sovereign over the worst day of your life as well. So what causes us to fear so much, to get so worried, to panic? Perhaps it's because the God we pray to is too small. We don't exalt him. We don't make him as big as the scripture describes him as. So when you go to pray, pray to the sovereign Lord, the creator, the great planner. Remind yourself of who he is. Exalt him as truly God. And then see your fears and and worries and anxieties get smaller as God becomes bigger. In fact, one song, a recent song, puts it powerfully. The things that I'm afraid of are afraid of you, God. The things I fear, fear God. God is in control. Nothing is too big for him. 
He is not scared. And so we have no reason to be. He has not fallen asleep. He was sovereign in Christ's death and resurrection and our salvation and our whole history, our whole lives. And he is sovereign this week. All goes according to plan. Tell yourself that this week when inevitably your plans fall apart, as they probably will. Maybe even your lunch plans will fall apart today. Remind yourself when that happens that all is going according to plan, just not your plan, God's plan. He is in control. There's a great quote from the preacher Charles Spurgeon. He said, It would be very childish if we were afraid for the moon because the dogs bay her when she walks in her splendor. In other words, could you imagine being scared that the moon is going to come crashing down when the wolves howl at the moon? Oh no, the moon's not going to be able to take it. It's going to fall down. Similarly, he says that it would be very absurd to fear for the eternal mountains because the winds blow upon their granite peaks. Oh no, the mountain's going to come crashing down. The wind is blowing on them. What are we going to do? That'd be ridiculous. He says, and it would be equally idle to tremble for the truth of God, to worry that God is going to fail, that God is going to be defeated, that God is going to lose his grip, lose his control. We don't need to worry or panic about that. It's like us running away from a gnat or a mosquito or a bee. Not that uh, I do that. Oh, wait, I do that quite frequently. But, uh, you know, we're, we're this big human, and this small little thing scares us. That shouldn't be the case. If we exalt God as big, we see these things we fear grow smaller. It reminds me of a story I experienced when I was in high school. Some of you know I grew up in Colorado, and we would go camping frequently up there in the mountains. And on one particular camping outing, it was my dad and two friends and myself. We were sitting around the campfire enjoying the experience when all of a sudden we heard a terrifying sound. It sounded something like this. Ooh, ooh. That's pretty scary. Don't be scared right now. Uh, it's okay. Um, and, and we thought, what on earth is that? It's dusk. It's, it's, it's a little scary here. And so I, if you know me, I'm just the bravest person when it comes to creatures. Uh, just the bravest thing. Uh, and so I said, I will stay behind at the camp and watch the camp while you all go and investigate this sound. So my dad and two friends, they went off. I stayed behind at the camp, sitting there, when while they were gone, I heard it again. Ooh, ooh, getting closer and closer to me. I, of course, you remember, I'm very brave. I said to myself, I will go and I will hide in the truck. So I went and hid in the truck and closed the doors. I thought, phew, I'm safe in here. Uh, we didn't know what it was. Uh, we, uh, we didn't know if it maybe was a moose, or perhaps a bear. But what it turned out to be when my father and two friends returned was just a bird. It's just a bird, which we effectively named the moose bird. And this has become the legend of the moose bird. And see, what happened is the bird would fly through the air and it would dive bomb to grab a bug and eat it. And as it dive bombed, the wind through its wings would make that whooshing noise that we were so scared of. How ridiculous. I felt quite foolish, uh, as you can imagine. At least the other guys actually wouldn't investigate it. Uh, You feel ashamed. But it's similar to how I feel in life when I work myself so up. I'm so anxious about something happening. I got a plan for it. I got to get it all under control or or the future is unknown and what's going to happen. And I get so, so anxious and worried. And then inevitably, it all turns out all right. And I end up looking back and saying, God, you had that all along. How foolish of me to get myself all worked up 
over something that ended up working out just fine. That's what we do to ourselves with our fears and anxieties. We make them bigger and bigger and bigger and God smaller and smaller and smaller. I certainly don't want to minimize people's pain or anxieties. I know many of you are facing very real problems. I certainly don't want to minimize your pain, but I do want to maximize our God, that he is in control, that he is sovereign, and that he is working all things for our good and for his glory. All goes according to plan. As the song that the praise team sang, God moves in a mysterious way sometimes. We don't understand it. It's as if he's working things in an unfathomable mind. And William Cooper certainly experienced that over days upon days of mental anguish and the deepest, darkest depression a person could face. And yet he wrote this song and said that the storms coming into his life, God rides upon the storm. And the clouds he so much dread were big with mercy. The purposes of God will ripen. They will come to fruition so we, his fearful saints, can take fresh courage in our God, who, yes, moves in a mysterious way, but is the one who moves and directs and is in control. Well, as we mentioned Psalm 2, let's go back and consider that quote again and see our third point here. An empowered church is a Bible-soaked church. We've seen that it's a praying church, prayers that exalt God, but then also prayers that are soaked in Scripture. If you notice in verses 25 and 26, they pray to God using their own words, but then they don't go very far before they quote from the Old Testament, from Psalm 2. And they apply those words, prophecy of David, to their situation. Notice they have such a value for God's word, they introduce it by recognizing, yes, it's written by David, but it's given through the Holy Spirit. It is inspired. It is reliable. And this gives us a great example for what to do with our own prayers. Have you ever tried to pray Scripture? Maybe in your prayer life you feel a bit dry, you feel a bit repetitive, you want to pray God-exalting prayers, but what do you say? How do you phrase it? How do you make sure everything is, is right and gets your heart in tune with what God wants? Well, I think a very simple thing we can do is do what the early church did and pray the Psalms. They're constantly in these sermons referencing the Old Testament. These people knew their Bibles, and here they're able to know it so well that they take the words of Psalm 2 and pray them back to God. As we worry about praying according to God's will, we can actually use God's very words and pray them back to him. And I think the easiest place to do this is in the Psalms. In fact, uh, one book called Praying Scripture by Don Whitney. We actually have it available on our online uh, resource center. It recommends praying through the Psalms with five different Psalms a day to choose from. And there's actually an app. This is what the app looks like. It's called Five Psalms. Android and iPhone, it's an app. It just takes five Psalms a day and you work through the entire Psalms in a month. You want to pray through all five of them. You could just breeze through and choose one or two that you want to pray. But you, you take a psalm, you read it, and then you take those words back to God in your circumstance and in your context. And maybe this would be a helpful way to bring fresh life to your prayers. And maybe a helpful way to gather with others. You could do a Bible study through the psalms, but actually turn them into prayers as you work through them together. Well, with this in mind, let's turn finally to their requests. Finally, to their requests. And notice how far we had to get before we even get to what the early church asked for in this prayer. Most of their prayer is just recounting who God is and what he's done. I think that gives us a good model for our own prayers. 
But they do eventually get to their requests. And we find that an empowered church is an emboldened church. A church that asks for God to make them bold. Now, keep in mind what just happened to these people. Uh, Peter and John especially. They were threatened. They were mistreated. The religious leaders were putting pressure on them. If that was you and I, and we left from a scary situation where our lives were on the line by these evil people, and we went back to our friends, what would we be talking about? What would we be praying about? Well, brothers, let's gather around and pray for lightning to strike those evil people. Let's just go after them. That's terrible. They're mistreating us. I think we'd all react that way, want to get back at them. And we see in the Psalms, there are times when God's people did pray these imprecatory-type prayers But in the New Testament, we don't see examples of that because Christ has called us in this era to bless and not curse our enemies, to do good to those who do us evil. And the Psalms were in their context for national Israel, the king praying through these covenant blessings for that time. But here, they take a different tactic. They don't pray for judgment on them. Instead, they pray three simple things. First, they ask God to look. Look on their threats. Now the question is, doesn't God already look on their threats? Doesn't he see all? He's sovereign. They just described how he knows all. Doesn't God already see? Why do they pray this? Well, I think we find modeled in the Psalms, and certainly here, that we pray God's promises back to him and ask him to be faithful to them. We know he will be, but it helps our hearts, and it's it's a model for us to take back to him. God, we know you see, you know But that doesn't stop us from praying because we're commanded to pray. So we ask you to do what you promised to do, to see our persecution, to look on these threats, and to work in our lives. Secondly, Lord, please grant us boldness to speak your word. All boldness, they say. Not just some. We want all of it, Lord. They recognize their weakness. They knew they had been bold before the religious council before, but they didn't assume they would be bold the next time. They knew they were weak people, and they needed to ask God once again, give us boldness. We are fearful people. We need you to give us boldness. And then finally, God, keep working. While you stretch out your hand to do these incredible things, keep showing your power. We know in this day and age, we, we, we are not praying for God to, through us, do these signs and wonders of healing. But we can ask God to do wonderful, incredible, powerful things. We're dependent on him. Go before us, Lord. Only you can open hearts to, uh, uh, for us as we preach your gospel. you got to work in this situation. So, Lord, go before us. Keep working and grant us the boldness that we need to do what you have commanded us to do. This is a great prayer to pray for ourselves. As we talk about living life on mission and sharing the gospel, how can we pray? Well, I think this gives us a great daily prayer, as one author puts it, like this. God, give me opportunities to share the gospel today, but it doesn't stop there, and boldness to take those opportunities. Because let's face it, God can give us opportunities, and we could be too fearful to take them. So, Lord, give us the opportunities. Work in your plan to give us the opportunities to share the gospel. And then, Lord, give us boldness to take those opportunities when you put them before us. And this is a prayer prayed often in the New Testament. I have three references here in Ephesians and Philippians. Paul asked the church to pray for him to have boldness. So we see this modeled. 
And then we see, in part, an answer to these prayers at the very end, the very last verse of the book of Acts, which maybe in a hundred years we will get to this verse finally. And, and this is how the book of Acts ends. Uh, it says that Paul was preaching God's kingdom in Rome with all boldness and without hindrance. That's how the book ends. Boldness goes throughout. And it's something we get, not on our own, but we are emboldened. God grants it to us. So what happens because of this prayer? Well, the immediate result we saw in verse 31, the shaking, the spirit, the, the speaking with boldness. And apparently the prayer was answered so well that by chapter 5, we see more people being added to the church, more people getting saved. We also immediately after this, verse 32 and 34 for next week's sermon, we're going to see radical unity in the church and sharing together. We see incredible things happen, things that can still happen today. Unity and boldness and people coming to know the Lord. So do you want God to add to this church? Do you want to see revival sweep our land? Do you want to see God's church built across the world in the hardest of places? Do you want to see God work in powerful ways in your own family? We're not guaranteed answers. We're not guaranteed life will be simple. If we just pray, if we just say the right words, everything will work itself out. No, God works in a mysterious way. In fact, we see in chapter 5 right after this that the church was by no means perfect and did not have all their problems resolved because there's going to be corruption uh, through uh, two different people. But we can have, we do have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living in us, according to Romans 8, 11. And having that spirit that gives us hope in 2 Corinthians 3.12, we can be very bold. We can be bold in our day and age. And we can experience that as we bring these requests to God. So in closing challenge for you, a summer challenge. I think I said this to my Sunday class. You know, we make New Year's resolutions. That's a terrible time to make resolutions post-Christmas. I mean, they're just doomed to failure. Well, let's make some summer resolutions. We're a bit late here, but maybe we can, we can pull it off anyway. Uh, this time of maybe a slower schedule, vacations. What should we spend our time doing? Well, here's a challenge. Get together with a group of people weekly, monthly, bi-weekly to pray. Just to pray for the needs of our church. Certainly for Pastor Andrew and the requests mentioned on the bookmark, for our gospel partners as those requests are shared, for those who are having procedures, many, many things to pray for. And as we get together to pray, we don't just jump into those requests. We start our prayers with who God is. We start by exalting him, and, and perhaps we even use a psalm, and we read that together and base our prayers on that psalm. But then every day we make this our daily prayer. Lord, today, give me boldness to share the gospel. Give me opportunities to proclaim it and boldness to take that opportunity. A great daily prayer for us as we seek to live life on mission. Now, to this end, we have something special for us today as we wrap up. You may remember our Easter cross. We had the wooden cross and you pinned notes to it. We had it up here on stage. It was so beautifully done that we decided to keep it up and we've moved it to the connector, which is just in between the resource center and the hospitality table. If you go out there, it's right there in the connector. And we want to turn it into a prayer cross, a cross to represent the prayers of us as a church, something people can look at and be encouraged that people are praying for things or, or who God is, answers to prayer, these sorts of things. So on your way out today, 
my challenge for you is to stop by the prayer cross. The sticky notes are there. There's pins to stick it up there with and pins to write uh, down your request with. Stop by there and write one of these things on uh, the little sticky note. An attribute of God you praise him for. Something you've been reading. Maybe a scripture passage that describes some aspect of God that you're just encouraged by and you want others to be able to read it and be encouraged by it. An answer to prayer that you've seen in your life. Some way God has worked. Or thirdly, a prayer request. Something you're asking God for. Or perhaps something you're asking God for for someone else. And maybe even you take the opportunity to pray with that person there at the cross. There's seats around. You pray together. And then you pin what you prayed for each other about on the cross as a testimony to what you're praying for. And specifically, perhaps praying for people to get saved. Somebody in your life that you know needs the gospel and you want to put it up there so you can pray and be reminded, but also so others can pass by and see who it is and pray for them. Maybe you don't want to go into detail. Something is too private. That's totally fine. You just put something general on there. But make this cross a place of prayer and let's see how God works through our prayers. Prayer is powerful. Prayer does work. Prayer leads These God-exalting, Bible-soaked prayers for boldness, they lead to an empowered church. So let's pray right now. I think it would be appropriate. I'm going to give you a few minutes and ask Brian to play quietly as you pray. You could pray by yourself through some of these things mentioned, something maybe that you're even going to put on the prayer cross, or you could pray as a family uh, or with somebody next to you. But take a few minutes here as we wrap up to pray, and then I'll pray And we'll sing a song. Sovereign Lord, you made the earth, the sky, the sea, everything in them. You spoke through your prophets, predicting that you would send your son to die for our sins, to rise from the dead, and you accomplished all of that. Nothing the nations gathered together to do was successful. It was all part of your plan. Lord, we face a week where we have plans, but they're going to fall apart so quickly. We're frail, we're weak. We want your power. Remind us of your sovereignty, your care, that you are exalted and big, and our problems are small in light of that. Lord, remind us of who you are as we seek you daily. Lord, gather us together to unite, to pray for the needs of this church, this country, our families. Lord, make us a church of prayer. And then, Lord, as we pray, work, stretch out your hand, do things that only you can do for your glory. Give us boldness. Give us, in your plan, the opportunities to share the gospel and the boldness to take those opportunities to live life on mission. You see all, look on our weeks and the sufferings that we're experiencing. See it, and Lord, give us boldness in the face of whatever may come to trust your plan and to live life on mission with boldness sharing the gospel with those who so, so need to hear it. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.